Perfect. All right, great. So welcome, everyone. Um, so we've got Brett, who's going to present, um, start us off by presenting SIP 120. Um, so I've posted in the GovCall chat channel, um, the text channel, the SIP. So if you want to navigate over there, you can follow along as we go. So Brett, the floor is yours. I'd like to jump in um, just before, just to give it, uh, just to maybe stage a little bit. Um, we have, a, this has actually been presented before, SIP 120. Um, the earlier version was uh, using uh, Andre's uh, Keeper network, which would also would take basically TWAPs from Uniswap and SushiSwap. But since then, we've um, we've had uh, the, the Uniswap V3 has come out. Um, it's got enough liquidity. Um, so this is really about the, the changes we've made from that last uh, approval till now. So Brett, maybe just want to just detail those, you know, in brief. Yes. All right. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. Yep. Everything's good. Okay. Great. Um, so I don't do this a lot. Should I screen share the SIP or? Uh, no. No. We, we'll. We have it open for. We told people about it. There's a channel called GovCall Chat. I don't think screen sharing works in stages. Um, so if you oh, just talk okay. through. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah. So as it's been mentioned, uh, this was presented. I think probably back in March and April. Um, and since then, Uniswap V3. Uh, released in May, and it was kind of always a, a question of whether or not we would use it. And um, basically, the changes since then, uh, I think there's maybe two or three major changes. The first of which is, of course, um, switching the DEX-based Oracle um, onto Uniswap v3. Uh, this is pretty critical because it just simplifies the entire interaction. Um, Uniswap v2 had uh, had a TWAP mechanism inside of it, but it was pretty hard for you to actually keep those um, uh, up to date. Um, basically, you would have to pay bots or run a bot yourself to continually uh, checkpoint um, various pools uh, on the V2 pools um, to get that TWAP. Whereas in V3 now, it's just built into every pool natively, um, and it's a very quick and easy operation just to get each pool to store a bunch of history. Um, so that just simplifies the entire architecture. Now synthetics, rather than relying on a bunch of bots and everything else, uh, it just needs to read into contracts that already store all of the TWAP history. Um, the second major change since before is a slight revamp to the types of prices that are getting pulled. Um, so the major change here is we were kind of going back and forth between whether or not we would only use the TWAP from the pools or uh, considering spot as well as TWAP um, from the pools. Uh, and we initially started in May with just the spot, or sorry, just the TWAP price um, from the V3 pools. Uh, but then Caleb was doing a bit of testing and he felt a lot more confident, um, including spot as well. Um, and the general price format hasn't really changed. It's always going to be taking uh, the worst price out of the Chainlink feed um, and now between spot and the TWAP rate that the pools are giving us. Um, so in every case, hopefully it's a price that's low enough to not be front runnable uh, in the next <laughs> few seconds to minutes. Um, and of course, there's a couple other parameters that help to adjust uh, the fees that are getting taken. Um, to nudge that value a little bit down and make it feel as safe as possible. Um, third major change uh, more recently was just to add um, kind of a proxy for volatility. Um, this is something that I think was brought up in June. 
Um, and we kind of went back and forth a couple of times where we simplified the volatility now to just track um, Chainlink updates um, because Chainlink has a pretty, uh, let's call it close deviation threshold that they'll ask their oracles to update. Um, so we'll be pretty sure that if Chainlink is updating, you know, like two or three times in the last 30 minutes, um, there's probably something happening. And the mechanism now shuts off automatically in a backwards win looking window. Um, so these are all configurable, but let's say the, the window is set to 20 minutes. Um, it'll look back in the last 20 minutes. And if there's more than, say, two Chainlink updates, uh, it'll stop the mechanism and it won't reopen it until the 20 minute window um, has like, or the number of updates in that backwards looking window has dropped below the maximum threshold. Um, so let's say like we had updates in the last five and 15 minutes, uh, the mechanism atomic exchanging would be closed. And then in five to six minutes, um, if there was another update, then it would open again because then there would only be one update in the last 20 minutes. Um, a little bit probably more backtesting is really needed uh, for this volatility. It's um, just something I've been meaning to do. And the data has been scraped. I just need to, need to, need to run a script on it to kind of figure out um, what maybe good measures initially to start off as uh, look like. Um, but like we're just taking examples like 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, to updates. Like standing through the data looks somewhat appropriate for now. But these are all tunable um, as we see more uh, live data and the actual mechanism gets deployed. Um, I think those three are the major changes that we've made since uh, since probably the last time this was presented. Um, Justin or Kane, if you remember anything else. Um, otherwise, I, I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> that's, much it. That's, that's the gist of it, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think I think it was mainly the volatility changes. Caleb isn't here, but has he signed off on this? <laughs> Our favorite front running expert. Uh, I haven't actually talked to him about it very recently. Um, but he was away a little bit. Um, I think he was okay with it, but I can't confirm that. Yeah, I think last time we, we talked was in early July, actually. Um, and we were this once it's deployed, we were planning on making like a sandbox test for him on, yeah. I guess, mainnet L1. Um, just to put a couple since then, he would try to front run it uh, based on the entire thing being deployed and and like set up to be used in this sandbox. Yeah, yeah. There was a little thing, that, there's something that Andre did uh, with his older version, basically drop a bunch of synths into some contract and just allow basic exchanging. It's like a little sandbox, as, as Brett says. And so use that as like a honey pot. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I think the changes are really good, so. Yeah, and just to be really clear questions. again, this is an additional function, right? That's on top of the, doesn't change an existing functionality. It's a conditional function to support atomic exchanges when certain conditions are met, like no volatility, and uh, you always get the worst rate of, uh, of Chainlink or the T-Wall. 
And so also, really I think that, for, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that the intent is for it to be used with like one inch or other aggregators. Yeah, one inch curve, what have you. And it's designed for obviously, for, particularly we imagine it's useful for people doing large, you know, large trades where there'd be no volatility and they want to be able to get a lot of, uh, move a lot without like, getting a slippage or minimal slippage. And obviously it means it's good for the SNX takers because you're basically getting a lot of, a lot more volume. Two more fees. Millie in the chat asks what the volatility threshold will be set to at the start. I guess the backtesting will probably feed into that. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think we've done any specific numbers, but I think it's something. I think we talked something like maybe three in the last hour, but I think we need to look back and see how realistic that is. Yeah, definitely. Um, effectively, it's like choosing the window and then choosing the, the update threshold. Um, and it's like plugging in a couple of values and kind of just seeing which ones correlate nicely is, and don't shut off the mechanism too much. Right. Um, which is nice because we get, uh, you know, that means that then the, the council could elect to, sh to change it without a contract change, right? It's just an SCCP. He says three in one hour would be pretty low, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it could be pretty low. I mean, I think, what is it? What's their heartbeat? 24 hours though? Um, I guess uh, we just need to look into it. I mean, the trigger just means basically it's about protecting. We're just trying to basically prevent, um, you know, from the backtesting that the Caleb kicked off. Um, we do see that in periods of extreme volatility, I think there are front running options. So this is basically more, you know, more restrictive, but we could always, you know, the council could always say, you know what we want to like volatility means five in the last hour, for example, five updates. Right. And the idea is that we have a view function in the contract so that the one inch and whatever can, you know, whoever's integrating it can basically check, you know, in real time, if the users actually, uh, if it's allowed, right. The volatility allows the trade, if it does, then it will provide the option. If not, I could say like, you know, under volatility, this won't work. Yeah. Miller's talking about a lot of chain link updates. I don't think there's that many. Like if you go to feeds.chain.link, um, look at ETHUSD pair, you know. What am I seeing? I can't share screen, obviously, but like I'm just I'm just on uh, feeds.chain.link and I went to the ETH there. I'm just having a quick look at the graph. Yeah, once every half hour, hour. Um, I think the heartbeat on ETH is at three hours. I can't recall off the top of my head. Well, that's another question. Actually, maybe it's an hour now. Maybe they've up, maybe they've changed different... it now. Do we have the ability to set the parameter differently for each synth, or is it just one global? Yeah, it's per synth. It's just one. Oh, it is? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's per synth. Okay, that's good, because the chain link feeds might be different, so. 
Sorry, I'm uh, not on the council, but uh, we'll be presenting later. Uh, is there is there scope to add more more assets? Um, and what would be the criteria to be able to do that? Yeah, I think the the main thing is really the the amount of um, liquidity that there is in in P three Uniswap P three, right? Yeah, it's essentially I think how much liquidity. Um, and how fast the market moves and how much volume is being traded on those pools um, on V3 to feel safe about the price that V3 gives you. Because um, if it's a very low liquidity pool, low volume pool, um, of course, like someone can, can change the price of that pool really, really quickly. Uh, that being said, the worst that can happen in the, in the situation, assuming Chainlink is okay, is the atomic ex executions um, just give you really bad prices. So, like, if we added another asset um, and it had low liquidity, and someone decided to like move the price on on a dex, um, the only thing they could do is make every atomic trade really, uh, like, how do I say this? Output really low amounts of other cents, right? You just get really bad prices. Um, so it wouldn't be front runnable in that sense. Um, but like for the best experience, yeah, it's like finding those high high volume, uh, high liquidity pools. Um, adding synth as well is also something that's left to SCCPs. Um, so it's really quite easy uh, to enable more once that's been, you know, once the comfort level uh, reaches that level. Um, I think there was some talk about adding SUR as well um, to just BTC and ETH, and that's. I think a couple of contract calls from the, the council um, to just make sure that's all set up and enabled. Is there an S here at Bulldog? Thank you. Thanks, right? I don't recall saying one, but yeah. Is there a particular threshold in terms of liquidity that? that um, you guys have kind of established as, as like a minimum uh, sort of criteria? Or, or did you kind of look at BTC and ETH and say, well, these, these obviously meet that criteria um, and the rest we can evaluate later? Yeah, I think it's more of the latter. You know, let's try it with something like the highest liquidity items that we have, right? Um, you know, and just see how it goes rather than just like, let's go, <laughs> let's go nuts. Let's put it in with the you know the highest equity assets. Let's limit on how much um, trade volume can be done. Um, let's just try to get it out there and and, and get it in there, yeah, get it used. Yeah, and I think to add to that point, um, one of the biggest use cases is probably for these high, um, uh, like larger transactions, larger exchanges. Um, so I think the initial motivation for this was to really integrate well with Curve and other like stable asset or stable correlation pools um, where you're transferring like a whole bunch of BTC into ETH and you don't want to uh, go through a DEX necessarily to do that, and you would tap into synthetic liquidity. Um, so a lot of the assets might also correlate well with any of those existing pools, and that was, of course, why 
um, BTC and ETH were initially chosen or par were part of the initial choices. Any other questions? Well, if there's no other questions, we'll go ahead and move this to vote. Um, any last chance? Any other questions from the council? All right. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Justin. Um, Thank you. Next up, we've got SIP 169, which is for deprecating low volume L1 cents. And our presenter is going to be so going to flip it over to Jordan and I'll post the link in the GovCall chat channel so you can follow along uh, during the presentation. Thanks, DG. Uh, yes, SIP 169 uh, proposes to deprecate a number of uh, L1 SIPs. Uh, initially, uh, the the SIP was um, created as we were still uh, launching L2. So L2 has since then been launched. So some of that language might seem um, a little old. Uh, basically, the, the sort of the motivation around this is um, there are a, a number of since uh, on L1 that have uh, various pricing. Um, they have some, uh, I guess, exposure to front running and other exploits that, uh, um, depending on which asset they are, um, you know, have been kind of eventuated in the past. And um, the, the kind of process of, of migrating to L2 is really about trying to uh, trying to give traders the best trading experience and focusing our attentions on L2 is uh, I think preferable. Um, so the um, the idea behind this SIP is that we would deprecate low volume synths, synths that don't generate much volume and, and therefore don't show much traction for end user trading. Um, and uh, in doing so, you know, we, we kind of focus on the, the L1 since that do have volume that are being used in, for example, the, the curve cross asset swaps um, and potentially some of the ones that are used uh, more regularly uh, with D-Hedge as well. So I've, I have got some feedback from both curve and from D-Hedge on, on their preference for, for the L1 since that should remain. So the, the list itself uh, has been influenced uh, by their feedback. And um, uh, yeah, the idea is that we would reevaluate the synths that we would launch on L2 uh, as we roll, roll out more and more synths, um, you know, as we get more and more comfortable with the, uh, the L2 instance. So that's the, the breakdown. Um, in terms of the deprecated since instead of uh, reading out that list, I might actually read out the the since that would remain on L1 because that list is shorter. So uh, Andre from Wyon uh, requested that all of the forex since remain, even though some of the the forexes are still in the low low volume bucket. So he's creating or has created 
uh, curve pulls for most of them and um, it plans to kind of do some work around uh, SAUD, SKRW, uh, SJPY, GBP and uh, Swiss franc, CHF. We were uh, always proposing to keep USD and Euro. Um, along with along with the Forex since we have SDFI, SCFI, SETH, SBTC, of course, SLINK, SRV, SDOT, and SADA. So those are the, the synths that will remain on L1, um, and all the rest will be uh, will be deprecated. Um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much the summary. Any questions from the council? What's the uh, ETA, ETA, I guess, um, in terms of uh, um, in terms of uh, re-enabling um, uh, the since the the low volume since like what's the what's the sort of process uh are you thinking on l2 uh i think that process is still uh i guess determined by the spartan council so the um the since that will be uh i guess chosen um to be listed on on l2 will, will kind of be based off community feedback uh, hopefully this time around, may, maybe a little bit of R&D in terms of what we believe, uh, like what, what type of synths will be um, useful. Um, so in the past, we've somewhat um, arbitrarily kind of picked certain assets based on, you know, just market cap or, you know, what we believe um, end users will want. Um, towards the end of the process, obviously there was more uh, community engagement around what what assets would be listed. So I, I would anticipate the same process as the, uh, the the kind of later stage since that were added. Um, things are proposed, they're evaluated, liquidity and things like that are looked at, um, and then we um, we go through a like a governance process to list them. So um, I don't know if uh, if specific timelines can be given but um the the sort of same processes listing on l1 would would i anticipate would be the same criteria got it thanks Um, I guess the only thing that I'd add is is maybe rethinking uh, the the model for how to evaluate when to bring things on to layer two because I know last time it was mostly around liquidity and um, I think we should uh, maybe go back and revisit some of the the governance models as to how to decide what to bring on to layer two but that's probably something we could figure out figure out in the next couple of weeks before we start to think about it. Um, so the only thing I, I would add then is that uh, the the actual deprecation. Um, uh, so the dependency here is uh, Justin SIP one seven four. So 
the the way that the synths synths will be deprecated is to um to have like a redemption process uh and in doing so means that we won't break any of the 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 pools for example balancer or uniswap pools where some of these synths might might exist and live um so that um that process will make it uh i guess smoother in terms of the ability to to deprecate them and um and not necessarily uh have the overhead of, of trying to coordinate with um uh, with token holders uh, at at the time of deprecation so we won't be uh, we won't be purging them as such as 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 we've done in the past but we will be um using SIP, the mechanism in sip 174 Any other questions? All good for me. Cool. Anyone else? Going once. All right. Well, uh, in that case, uh, we'll prepare this one for vote as well. Thanks, Jordan. Um, thank you. And we'll go. That's it for today. We'll go ahead and make the recording available. And uh, thanks for your time and for attending. Keep an eye out for the next SIPS presentation, and we'll make an announcement, uh, give you a heads up in advance. So thanks again, everyone, and hope you have a great rest of the day.